the Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Robert. I'm a two-time Paralympian, online training and nutrition coach, and owner of James Robert Fitness. You can find more of my content by going to my website, fitamputee.co.uk. But before we get started with today's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners. And if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got Dave Stevens. He was born without legs in the 1960s, was put up for adoption and was raised by two loving and supportive parents who instilled core values that helped make him the man he is today. In the years before adaptive sports, he decided to play able-bodied sports and become a pioneer in his home state of Arizona. Dave attended elementary school in Washington Elementary School District in Phoenix and was a student at Mountain View, Sunny Slope and Desert Foothills schools. Dave played basketball, floor hockey, volleyball, softball and every sport possible before becoming a free sport varsity athlete at Wickensburg High School in Wickensburg, Arizona. After numerous national articles and featured appearances on ABC's That's Incredible, he was rewarded a scholarship to Osberg College in Minnesota. It was here that he became the only legless player in college football history. His success eventually led to tryout with the Dallas Cowboys and representing Team USA playing football in New Zealand, Australia and Ireland. Dave's love for baseball also led him to tryouts with the 1984 Olympic baseball team, the Cincinnati Reds and the Minnesota Twins. In 1996, Dave again reached another milestone, signing a three-week contract with minor league baseball team, the St. Paul Saints, being the only legless athlete to ever achieve that. Off the field, Dave enjoyed a 30-plus year in sports broadcasting, reduced duties ranging from reporter to video editor to producer. He spent 20-plus years working at ESPN where he earned seven National Sports Emmys. He has covered the Super Bowl, World Series, Final Four, and anything in between. So welcome onto the show, Dave. Wow, that's quite an intro. Thank you very much. I hope we still have fans out there listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, reading the whole bio itself, it, it, it is quite a mindful, and you achieved quite a lot in, well, off the top of my head, it's about a 50-year lifespan. Yeah, I'm I'm so blessed. I'm I'm really lucky, and uh, you know, to to have the fortitude that my adoptive parents instilled in me to you know let my disability become my ability, and I really was able to use it because you know in, in those days back in the '60s, back in you know olden times before many of your audience was even born, they still would take somebody with a disability and and institutionalize them and put them in like a hospital with just everybody that was just thought of a, as a, a uh, you know a, a burden on society parents would have that option so I'm very lucky that not only was I put up for adoption but with two people that really cared you know and and realized that there was something special in me I guess to uh, help me to guide me wherever that was going to go you know and they both passed away uh, before I you know they got to see me get to the epitome of the career that I've had but uh, you know I've kept them with me the entire way and kind of going back to the early days now Dave Mm -hmm. what was kind of the feeling but the feeling behind wanting to try every sport under the sun 
Well, you know, when you, you have a what they call a disability, and I, I hate that word. I hate handicap. I hate, like, you should probably say the same things because, you know, you, you don't have a disability that keeps you from stopping the things that you've achieved, you know, as a Paralympian. And, and I have played, you know, professional baseball and, and football at the you know, highest levels and things, and I just want to be known as a guy without legs. So I don't want to be known as handicapped or just because we always, they lump us into that. You know, if you're black, you're black. If you're white, you're white. But if you're handicapped, it's such a range of, mm. of diversity and, and disability and ability of, you know, you could have a small bit, bit of autism or you could be completely, you know, off the radar as far as what your, your disability is. And it's not fair that we're all lumped into that. But to get back to the question, um, I just got tired of sitting around and watching my friends do the fun things at recess and, and uh, or PE or whatever you would call it as breaks and 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 then there were after school activities. I'm like, man, I, I think I can do this. And I just started little bits at a at a time. Uh, you know, working with a tennis ball to learn how to play baseball, which is like the equivalent of, your, of cricket, and um, working with a Nerf football, uh, American football, to learn how to catch and throw. You know, the equivalent to I think you call it gridiron over there, American mm -hmm. football. But and then just starting basketball and wrestling and all these different things that I found out I, I had the advantage in certain areas because I know, you know, what to do, especially in wrestling. I knew what to do against you leggies, but you leggies don't know what to do against a guy with no legs. So it's like, ha ha advantage me. So there are advantages to, you know, I had always had to look at the positive and look at the things that I could do. There are no, um, you know, how do you play sports for dummies books? And, and how do you coach a guy without legs to swing a baseball bat? And how do you coach a guy without legs to shoot a basketball or play volleyball? And, and so I had a lot of good coaches and people that, you know, just uh, helped me along the way. And, and uh, it, it's been great to see adaptive sports come along. Um, but for a guy that's 52, I had to, all I had was regular sports. And it was either you play well enough to make the team or you sit back and wish, oh man, I should sell pencils on a street corner. But do you think uh, that adversity uh, made you the stronger person that you are today? Because like you said, you, you, it was either take it on head on or fit, like you say, feel sorry for yourself. Yeah. And, and you can mope and sit around and, you know, I've had my ups and downs, but I, you know, I used that. I use sports to, make me not handicapped, make me not disabled. And then when people started watching me and seeing the successes, you know, it's a, it's a good feeling when they're staring at you in a positive way and cheering for you and thinking, Oh my gosh, this, how can this man do this? And, and you get those accolades as opposed to in my day to day life when it's very personal and I don't like to be stared at and people are always looking at me and, um, especially if I go to the beach or something like that, where it's it's not a normal situation to see a guy without legs walking around on the beach. You know, I, I get um, a little self-conscious about that. But sports has really, you know, it's given me that chip on my shoulder and that, like, I can do anything that I want to do. And, and, you know, you try and fail and you fail a lot to get to where you want to be. And that's just uh, how my life has been, you know, lots of triumph but the failures along the way to go little by little to to get what's taken me for sports and a television career and you know all over the country speaking and, and the things that I get to do now that I just pinch myself but at 52 I'm still playing American football at a flag football level against NFL stars and I work out with minor league teams and take batting practice and shag balls and uh, just spent 
a few weeks with a very famous minor league baseball player named Tim Tebow over on this state side that uh, it was wonderful. He was playing NFL football and he switched to, he's trying to get to the major leagues and just a great guy who loves God. And uh, so, you know, I'm still living the dream. I'll do it as long as I can. I know my shoulders of both rotator cuffs have been, uh, you know, surgically repaired elbows been fixed, you know, uh, because you're not meant to run on your arms. You know, I'm sure your upper body is, you know, well, but when you get to my age, the things start breaking and falling apart and they keep saying, stop playing sports. And I'm like, I love sports, you know. But that, that point you raised there, David, that you are quite, I won't say how put it this way, but intimidated in the outside world because it, it surprises me because you've got that presence of mind and you've also had that lustrous career in television. It surprises me that you sh- shun away from it a little bit, but or is it because you want to separate what is your private life from your professional? It really is. Um, and as I've been speaking, I've learned, which is, you know, as I'm sure you have in your endeavors, people want to know the secret stuff. They want to know, well, how do you get in the shower? Or how do you drive? Or how do you do this? It's how do you walk around? Is, you know, do you use your crutches or a wheelchair in your house? Though? The things that they want to know. And it's like, there are the public, me and you, and there's the private ones where I'm walking around on my butt and I know nobody's staring at me so I can just climb up on things and I can cook breakfast for the kids or I could do, you know, the things that I used to do before sh- shoulder surgery of doing laundry and, you know, I'm out driving around running errands and things like that. And, you know, because it's, you don't see a guy without legs a lot, you do see them coming back from war most of the time, you know, that from, you know, all over the country, we've got, you know, the men and women that really have served and I'm proud to play football with them. I really enjoy playing for the Wounded Warrior Empathy football team, but it's, it's that every day of your life, people are going to look at you and see you differently just because they're looking at you and then they're going to feel sorry for you. And then they're going to go, Oh, you know, what a, what a poor sad case, or, you know, they just, and have that look or they say the things my kids and I hear it all the time we play a game where we can hear the weirdest things but you know the reality is I try to focus when I'm playing sports yes I know you're looking at me and I know all eyes are on me and I like to rise to the occasion but in my personal life when I'm with my kids you know doing things it, it we're aware of it I guess would be the most cognitive term you know you're aware of it you you're constantly knowing that you can't pick your nose because they're going to say, oh, look at that legless guy. And then he picked his nose or something. Like you're constantly aware that people are always watching you out in the world. But would you not agree that people need to be in their consciousness come to modern times? Because like you attested to, in the 1960s, you were kind of put aside and kind of uh, put into hospitals and kind of shunned away. Whereas with the likes of social media, television, you name it, disabilities, you could just type it in and find it on the internet. So shouldn't people be be moving into the modern times of how they perceive disability? Yeah, I think, you know, and that's, it's like if you decide to cross the line and become a public motivational speaker, then you're out there for everything and you get the good and the bad. Um, and I just recently, I don't know if you saw that post. I recently did an interview with a very famous football player here in the United States on the New England Patriots. His name is Rob Gronkowski. They call him Gronk. Big, huge tight end, fun loving guy. Uh, just fun to be around. You guys have a lot of athletes that are like that. And, uh, I did the interview 
before I left the parking lot of the New England Patriots field, somebody had tweeted my photo of me and Gronk sitting there laughing, having a fun time. And then a website picked it up. And then suddenly people were posting, where's the dude's legs and horrible, mean things just, you know, and some funny, some said it looked like Tyrus Lannister or one of them said, I look like Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump or, uh, uh, mixed partial arts was a pretty funny one. So, you know, you realize that I've had bullying all my life. And now that I'm more public, it's at a higher level. When you see thousands of people commenting on something, some funny, again, I have a good sense of humor, but I didn't know about it until my kids' friends were getting texts from their friends saying, Hey, your dad's all over Twitter with Gronk and they're saying mean things and, and you see it. And they're like, dad, does this bother you? And I'm like, it's, it's no different than, you know, when kids said things that when I was a little kid or we'd make fun of you or, you know, it's just, you have to have tough skin. But to, to your point, I'm learning that the more I open up with the private stuff, if you see the videos of me walking in the snow, you see videos where a car blocked me in and I couldn't get my wheelchair in and I had to climb out of my car on a wet ground uh, soaking my butt to get into my car and back up. And I, I, I videotape that and you start sharing these things and suddenly they explode. And it's like, people don't care about sports. No, they care about how do you get on a stool to get up, to get to the sink, to do this? How do you get gas in your car? What, what's it like to, how do you skateboard on your arm? So I'm learning to come to terms that the more I open up with my private life, it helps people to understand what my life truly is. And I always say when I speak, you know, I live in your world. You don't live in mine. So people don't understand what it's like to be on my butt the entire time and walk on my arms. And how can you play sports? And do women want to date you? Is that scare them away? You know, all those things, the questions that they have when I speak, it's like, you, I can just, you know, insert question A here and B and there. Cause they all have the same fascination with, you know, and you know, I've had them say, how do you go to the bathroom and, and can you have sex? You know, one football player thought he'd be funny and say, Hey man, can you have sex? And I said, why are you asking? <laughs> you know? Um, so, but you have to have a sense of humor and I've always had that. And I think some people, it may put them off a bit because of my sense of humor where I'll take a picture with my lower, my upper body coming out of a, a statue of an alligator and I'll post it and say, see, you got to be careful with the zoo. The alligators will eat your legs off or, you know, just different things that I do that may shock people. But it's like, what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to deal with something? If, you know, if you can't make fun of yourself, you shouldn't make fun of others. Not that I do, but you have to have a good sense of humor if you're going to survive with something as extreme as what I have to deal with. And I know you go through the same thing you know, with, with people there, it, it's not the norm to not have a body walking upright. So if you're in a wheelchair, you're on crutches, you have no legs, which mine is the extreme. It's a captivating moment. Mm -hmm. It's just live TV that they don't normally get. So I, I understand it. I'm trying to come to terms now that I'm more, you know, people want to know, well, how, how can you motivate me? I don't care about the sports. How can I get up? And I'm like, well, you know, you always worry about your appearance. Well, try not having legs. You know, you don't think you look beautiful today. I don't have any legs. Get over yourself. You know, you try to think about things that are minute and small in the realm of things compared to like, I'm, I wouldn't want to be any other way. You know, I've lived an amazing life that has taken me to play American football in Ireland and Australia and New Zealand and, and to try out for professional teams and to win Emmys and to rub elbows with, you know, 
Tiger Woods and LeBron James and Beckham and people that you run into in my, my line of work, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So I, I, you know, while people say, do you wish you had legs? Do you wish you would have tried? I, I just say, no, I, I, I don't know any other way. So this is just me. But my next question for you, Dave, and it's probably links well to what you've just raised there. Do you think back in the day that you tried out for the Dallas Cowboys, there was an element of them trying to use it as a publicity stunt to a certain extent, or am I reading into that too much? I think it really wasn't much of a publicity stunt until I showed up, and then all the sto- the people that were covering the event suddenly, you know, turned on me. I, literally yesterday, I had a man. Uh, email my website and say, can you reach out to me? So I called him yesterday. I'm like, well, yes. And he's like, I photographed you when you tried out for the Dallas Cowboys. I retired a few years ago. It was one of the most amazing moments of my life. He said, do you remember that? And I said, kind of, you know, and he goes, you ran the 40 yard dash, which is, you know, uh, do the conversion for England. But I ran, I ran on my arms. There were thousands of players trying out. Everyone stopped and watched me. And at the last second, when I crossed the line, they just applauded. And it was just like this emotional moment. Like, I even kind of thinking about it now. And he's like, I took those pictures. I sold them to the tabloids, to the Inquirer, to the Globe, to all these things. I made a lot of good money off of you. And he said, but I always wondered what happened to you. And I reached out and I found you. And he's like, praise God for what you've done. And I'm, I'm going to send you a couple of these pictures. And I'm like, wow, when you make an impact on somebody and 30 years later, they track you down. It's like... So now I hope that I can get out, tell my message, talk about the goods, the ups, the, the downs, the low points, the, the really low points, and try to show that, you know, people with disabilities or handicaps or whatever we're called, you know, we, we are just like you. We are, you, we cry, we hurt. Um, some of us hurt more because of what we have to keep internally of the cross that we bear of, um, of, of physical limitation in certain aspects. You know, I know my limits. Um, and I'm realistic now that I'm older and I can't do the same things. But, uh, you know, I try to go out, put a, sh- a good show, inspire people and leave them with something that they can tangibly take away on how to deal with just their day to day issues that, that come up. And, and like I say, you know, if I was blind, if I was deaf, like I could have it way, way worse off than than most people or just where I was, what country I lived in. You know, if I'm fighting every day to just to survive for two countries battling over I don't know what and I just live on a dirt floor like what what kind of life would you choose to have so I'm I'm pretty happy with how things have turned out for me and kind of moving on to when you went into baseball what do you think the managers saw in you to give you that uh, free week contract at the minor leagues um I, I don't think they believed it at first you know, I had a, the owner of the team um, had a father who owned a major league team over here, and they actually his dad had a midget pinch hit or a, or a short person or a little person, um, however you want to phrase it. And and they batted one at bat, and this is like in the 40s. And so his son owned that team, and he's like, "Hey, Dave, would you like to come out?" I'm like, "Yeah, but I'm not to get a walk. I'm you know I'm a player." So I went out. I happened to go out at the same time of two very famous American baseball players were trying to make comebacks, Daryl Strawberry and Jack Morris. And Daryl was battling his own demons with drugs and, and the things that he'd battled. And all of a sudden, all the media attention was on Dave. And Daryl Strawberry could do his thing for three weeks. And we became very close. And we'd go have lunch and we talk. And we're still friends to this day. 
and he made it back to the Yankees and won a World Series. And he always said, the woman that's writing my book talked to him, and he always said, if I hadn't met Dave, I was going to walk away from baseball that day. So, again, to make an impact on a major leaguer and a, and a guy that really had everything and kind of threw it away. So the managers were like, well, we might let you get one at bat. And then suddenly they threw me in to play second base. And then the next game I'm starting at second base and leading off the game. And I look around and Daryl Strawberry is behind me and Jack Morris is on the mound. And I'm like, wow, I've done it. Because I had two dreams when I was a kid. One was to be on TV and, and, and to work in TV sports. And the other was to play professional baseball. And I had that on tape when I was a little kid. So it's like to have that and to achieve those dreams, it's like, Anything is possible if you just worked hard enough for it, you know, and we can overcome, you've overcome, like, and you can get the accolades, you can be a Paralympic, you can, you know, continue to have an amazing, impactful life, despite the odds. It's just you need the people along the way, the coaches that believe in you, the managers, uh, you know, I've tried every sport, I've even tried soccer, I thought I'll be a goalie, but, you know, stopping them with my face isn't good, and you know, <laughs> a little bit over my head, but, you know, but I'd anticipate those, you know, the, the, the penalty kicks. I think I'd anticipate them a little better. But I'm not up against, you know, trying it. I just started sled hockey. So I'm playing hockey at age 52. I'm still enjoying these kind of things. And, and I'd, like to, I'd like to open minds and let these coaches and people see, like, he's an able – he has no legs and he's able to contribute at an able-bodied sport. So when I go work out with these minor league teams, you know, and all of a sudden – and I've worked out with major league teams and they, they suddenly come around the batting cages and they're standing there and staring at you and leaning at you. And you're kind of, again, you're thinking the spotlight's on me. I've got to hit these balls and you hit the balls and you get the oohs and the ahs and you get, you know, the guys that come up and it's just like, you're the ones making millions and yet you want to talk to me. So I, I, I'm very humbled by it. You know, again, as you know, when you're trying to sell yourself, it's like you get to play this role and you kind of get to do this thing, but it's still, very humbling to think about where I came from, you know, a very poor kid uh, to coming full circle of, you know, being able to inspire and motivate people. And you touched upon Dave, obviously with your disability, you're putting a heavy burden on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. I say physically more so than actually emotionally yeah. now. Um, do you, do you think it is more so a problem for you than say, anybody that has competed in say any paralympic discipline because like myself to attest to i'm starting to get those aches and pains in the shoulders but obviously you're doing not only the sport but the physical um demands of just moving about on a daily basis yeah i mean i was so groggy from the, from the medicines I, I should have documented it but i you know i had a rotator cuff surgery in march and you know, if, if you had rotator cuff surgery or your friends or some in your family, you'd wear, you know, a sling and you could probably get around in your chair maybe a little bit or use your leg to kind of mobile. But when you have your arm like this, so that gives me one arm and no legs to get around, to get off of bed, to get into the shower, to shave, to do all these kind of things. Like it's, it's very challenging, you know, and, and dealing with the pain, but knowing that I, I can't do anything with one arm. So Although the doctors say, don't move, but don't do this, don't do that. Within a few days, I was up and moving around and trying to, you know, at least get to a place where I can hop up on a tub and kind of roll in and fall into the tub or use, you know, stools to get, you know, how do you go to the bathroom? It's like all these things that you don't think about 
if you have two legs and two arms, well, you're down to one arm and no legs. And it, um, it, it, you know, I'm very blessed. I had great caretaking and a lot of love um, and support to get me to this point where I can get out. I'm still hitting, you know, I was out hitting batting and, and doing stuff. I'm not a hundred percent. I am going to be playing an American football game uh, in with flags. Um, like, do they have touch rugby? Do they have flag rugby or yeah, anything yeah. like that? Well, it, it's the equivalent of that, and I'll be playing in Lambeau Field, which is a professional NFL stadium before 75,000 people at halftime. So, again, I need to sort of get in shape so this fat butt can run up and down the field a little bit. So, um, But it is – that's a great question because it, people don't really think of, like, okay, you're going to have shoulder surgery. I'll just walk around in a sling. But, you know, I laid on a couch for a few days till I could kind of get up and, and slide my butt around just to get around and, and – use this arm and start, you know, um, getting to the point where I can, you know, feed myself and bathe myself and shave and pick up my kids. And, you know, I was driving within three weeks. I wasn't supposed to be driving, but, you know, I figured out a way to put step stools to get into the car and got into my car and it's hand control. So, you know, I was able to go and get my kids and not really put that much of a dent, you know, with, uh, all that, but it, it, it's I've had it three times and I hope I don't have to have it again, but I guess I'd have to stop playing sports in order to take that element out of the, out of the way. But then you raised that good point, Dave, would it being strapped up? I'd have thought would obviously I'm fortunate to have a prosthetic leg. So that wouldn't be so much of uh, any, well, I won't say inconvenience, but uh, so much problematic. But for, for obviously for you, if you've only got that utilization of one arm, I'd have thought it would put more pressure on the, uh, we'll quote, say quote unquote fitter shoulder. Yeah. I mean, my left one is, is done. Okay. Luckily it's only been operated on once. My primary right has been twice. And I, it's just because, you know, throwing baseballs and footballs and things continuing at my age, you know, which you're not meant to do. Um, and I have backed off and I'll continue to back off, but you know, it's such a great feeling, especially now that I'm working with little kids at these baseball, we have baseball camps for disabled kids, the D three day. And it's kids that are physically challenged that just come out, work with the minor leaguers, which is the, the lower level of baseball, but still professional that they get up to that tier. And, you know, we just play baseball and throw the ball around and do some fielding and stuff. And when you, again, you see those children with a smile, I want to be able to continue to walk with them and throw with them and just show them, Hey, look, look what I did with my life. There's no reason that, you know, if you have, certain abilities it doesn't have to be sports but you can continue that fight and continue that battle to go and fit into society and make a contribution and you were talking about that dave uh, prior that you're going to be doing a flag football tournament in lambeau field i'm assuming it's going to be in the in probably the beginning of the nfl season as opposed to the cold uh, it's november 11th at halftime and i think it's going to be really really cold which you know, I played football in Minnesota. Minnesota, for uh, people in your country who are listening, is is very cold. We're talking 10, 20, 30 below Fahrenheit of, you know, freezing. And, yeah, what, what that does to my bum is very, very <laughs> unpleasant. So I'm hoping it's November 11th that they either clear the snow off because it, it's a legendary cold field. But, you know, I think the, the energy and my, you know, you know, everything's going to take over for a few minutes and, and I can go and sit my butt in a nice hot tub or, or, you know, soak it in a boiling hot pan or something to, to, to heal up. 
Well, I would say, like you say, it's the euphoria, nostalgia of what that represents. It's been my entire life always wanted to play professional level things. And I guess, granted, it's a flag thing, but most of the guys that I'm playing with are wounded warrior veterans. So they're playing on one leg. They're like you. They're playing on an artificial leg. They're playing on an, with one arm and, you know, throwing and catching. And it's just amazing. And then this fat old legless guy comes around on the field to play defense. And I play quarterback a little. I'll throw a pass or two, uh, you know. And, but I, I'm, it, I'm already anticipating it to be one of the greatest moments of my life. And I've had a lot of good ones. You know, when you're playing before 50,000 people in Australia at a, in a football game or, you know, you're getting announced at a minor league baseball game to come to bat and those kind of things. So um, it just shows you, again, that, that you can do anything and, and to continue to, to do the things that I do sometimes freaks me out that it gets me to the where I've gotten to be. And that's why I said I've, uh, I hope it's not offensive and – Actually, this is good for you, you know, if it bounces out for you. Have you seen the, mo- the movie Forrest Gump with Tom Hanks? Yes. See, I consider myself Forrest Gimp. Because <laughs> I've done all these crazy things that I've done with, you know, Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods and all these athletes that I've crossed paths with and, and interviewed. And, and so I don't know if that is offensive to people. Are we allowed to say it because we are, you know, in this political – you're going to upset somebody, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure you have a sense of humor about. Oh no, I take I take that with lightheartedness. So I think your friends, they, they, you know. So I get, I, you know, it's one of those things where I, I'm trying. I, it's a good way to describe it, but is it too offensive to people in this? You know, especially now where everything is, you know, micro, you know, put under a microscope to. What does he mean by that? Or well, that's offensive to handicapped people and. You I think know. I think I'm very similar to you and Dave, uh, Dave in, in that essence in terms of uh, depending on how I feel, I might sometimes do it deliberately just to see what reaction I can get. Uh, yeah. I think when the story brings to mind. Uh, also, been about six years ago when, uh, when I was in the British volleyball team, we were just gosh multiple disabilities chatting away. And we were joking around, and we—I we, think I think I noticed somebody like eavesdropping and getting shocked by it. And I think we ramped it up a little bit more, but we we're just messing around. And the, yeah. you see, they wanted to probably say something. Thinking, well, one, you're being a little bit nosy. I could come come to you and say, well, why are you eavesdropping on my conversation in the first place? But we deliberately were doing. We were just messing around with like uh, not being a uh, like banter as we would call it we're like we're just joking around messing around with each other uh using these terms loosely and i guess somebody well like you said pc they interpret it in a different light and we were, I, I, we were at tracksuits on anyway so you can't tell that we've got disabilities so it's probably that assumption well they're being offensive to disabled people you're thinking well you are being very cynical because you don't know what we're having to deal with. Yeah. I, but now in this day and age, again, where a, you know, a race can use a certain word and use that word and it's okay. It's acceptable for those in that race. So it's like, are we in the handicap world entitled to use certain words? And, you know, again, not wanting to upset, especially as a public speaker, they could say, Oh, I heard you on this podcast and you said you were Forrest Gimp and, my son's disabled and that really was offensive to me and you know kind of thing and if you don't take it like the things that i did as a kid to freak people out oh my gosh 
You know, I would bury myself in the sand at the beach and people would walk by and then I would just jump out at them. Or I, would, <laughs> I would crawl out of the water and I'd be like, shark, shark, you know, or I'd put one, one end of me at the end of a school bus and my legs at the other end of the school bus when I wore artificial legs and cars would drive by and just, you know, they'd call out to my coaches and say, what's going on? There's somebody causing, you know, chaos or my friend would put me in a shopping cart and push me in a shopping cart, put on sunglasses, pretend he's blind. And I'd have the stick working in front of us, you know, like we were, you know, again, the youth and the innocence and the, you know, stuff that I wouldn't do today. Um, but again, the things I did then, helped me almost to get acceptance because my teammates would take my artificial legs and stuff them in the Raptors. Or um, I had a teammate one time urinate on my head in the shower while I was showering. I turned around and punched him right where the urine was coming from. And my coach comes out and they're like, what happened? And they're like, Oh, Beefo urinated on Dave's head. Well, what did Dave do? Well, he hit him in the beep. The coach just said justice served and turned around and walked away. Yeah. In this day and age, we'd be suspended and there'd be, you know, all this stuff of like, you know, he picked on my kid and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I've been a part of good jokes. You know, I've been the butt of jokes. I, I try to create the humor. Um, but it's just, it's tough now in this day and age because people are so taken aback by seeing you missing a leg or me. They're just like, do I touch you? Do I talk to you? Do I look at you? Do I look down? Do I not? Do I just look you at the eye? I never, you know, it's all these things that you get that they're uncomfortable with. So it's up to you and I to educate the world. Like it's okay to be a little different. It's okay to ask the questions. It's okay. I want the young kids to say, how did you lose your legs? Or why are you like that? So they can comprehend that it's not a scary thing. It's not a bad, that's not a monster over there. It's just somebody who doesn't have legs or doesn't have a leg or missing an arm or might. Um, you know, have a disability that it's not so creepy to. It makes it human. It's like that. what I've done with my toes. I have six toes, four of them on the left side, two of them on the right side. The right side, as a child, I named Jojo, and it can wave, and it looks like little funny foo-foo. It's just two toes. And then the four toes was mom and the baby toes. So I would explain this story to my friends that the husband moved out, so the mom has three kids on this side. The two went to college, became doctors. Joe and Joe are doctors. And it made such a weird, creepy thing become funny and humorous. And so when I go back to high school and I went back last year for my like reunion and everybody was like, how's Jojo? How's mama? So the impact of the ice breaking kind of things that I did as a kid, which I'm not a genius, so I don't know where I came up with this, but the coping mechanisms that we have internally when we lose a leg or when we, we have this immense internal way of overcoming such major things. And I, I would like to be able to teach that to the able-bodied people that you have this inside you to deal with your problems, to deal with situations that you, you know, you don't need to feel sorry for me. I feel sorry for you. If you can't overcome your demons or you can't handle the pressures of a job or family or school or these kind of things that, you know, again, you look at someone else and go, man, I have it. I don't even have it half as bad as him. You know, when I meet these pro athletes, it's like, they feel like, wow, I don't have it. My leg doesn't ache today or my arm isn't so bad because this this 50-year-old guy is out here hitting baseballs. Oh, I got nothing to complain about. So if they can see that and take a piece of me, you know, and when they see your, you know, what you're doing and they hear your podcast and they can take away this information that's really critical to help people deal with things, you know, and overcome just the day-to-day -day basic things. And Dave, I'm intrigued now. You, you, you touched upon earlier that you wanted to get into television. 
Why television specifically? I figured that if I was on TV, people basically see you from the waist up. So, you know, I could have made, and I did make a name for myself, you know, behind the scenes. I was working on camera, and then ESPN called me in Minnesota and said, come. So I came here. But now I'm doing on-camera stuff for the Disability Channel, and I'm loving it. Like, you know, covering a Super Bowl, covering big events, covering golf tournaments, you know, meeting big-time people, meeting, you know, all these people that you can get information from. Well, how did they do this? What was their inspiration? Things like that. So I always thought that being on TV would just let people see me in this little box that I'm normal. I don't have to worry about legs. I don't have to worry about, you know, wearing, you know, dress pants and things like that. I can wear shorts or whatever. And, you know, it's nice. But uh, now when I'm on camera, I want them to see that I don't have legs. I want them to see that the athletes are getting down with me and opening up to me. And it's like, they're more comfortable with me because I'm not asking questions about who are you sleeping with? Or what about this? You drove drunk or you hit your wife or all these horrible stories that the other media can, I always try to look for the positive and go, Hey, you're, you, Gronk, you're doing a Tide commercial. My butt's on the ground all the time. Is it going to get these things clean? And I pull out the Tide pods, and he laughed. And, you know, it's, all, it's, it's good fun. You know, Tim Tebow, I said, if you were playing football and I was a legless guy coming at you to tackle you, what would you do? And he's laughed. He's like, I don't know what I would have done. And he laughed. And you get these guys, you see different aspects because you get them to see that I'm just a dude. You know, you're just a dude. When you ask your questions, people like, I feel like we have a, you know, a, a good connection here as far as, you know, almost like a friendship, just because you and I have been through so much of the similar things that we can understand things that, that outsiders, you know, can't see or have experienced as far as, you know, the persecutions, uh, you, you get it double being a person of color and having a disability. It's like, you know, we, we experience different things based on, you know, what our world is like. And so to overcome what I've overcome, what you've overcome, I, I hope people can see that and realize that man the things that we take for granted are are menial compared to what we have to overcome when you've got one arm and trying to recover from shoulder surgery or you know you you you're walking on icy things and it's not your your artificial leg wants to buckle or you know move or slip a different way because your your foot your real ankle reacts differently than a robotic ankle all these things people don't think about that you're constantly you've got to think about walking you don't think about walking when you have two legs. You have to think about walking when you have one leg, keeping your balance, looking ahead, walking around, looking for wet spots just in case, you know, the things that I did when I was on crutches that you probably had to do in your life that, again, the little things that people don't know about us, but yet we should share with them so they can understand the struggles that we have. I know this is probably a, a little bit off-topic question, Dave. Would you work in for the sports channel? What is your take with you could say the U.S. being a little bit slow with the uptake of um, distributing the Paralympics. Obviously, the size of the country, it should do a lot better than it actually does in a sporting context. It, it really should. And, you know, I uh, even though I'm not with ESPN anymore, I, I give ABC and ESPN a lot of credit because they bought the rights to it. However, um, I don't think they do enough. I honestly, I think they do a few things a night and then they do a highlight show on the weekend. But um, for the athletes that are putting in the sweat and the blood, it's a much bigger event worldwide, just like the World Cup is and just like soccer is. And just like, you know, I think, I think sometimes we 
at the U.S. are slow to the take on certain things, you know. Um, and I, I really wish that it could be this magnificent event that I've seen worldwide with the pomp and the circumstances and, and the way that they treat the athletes like they're Olympians and they get to have their Olympics. And I think over here we have that, but it's just not to the level. I think, I don't know if we have, if we have too much technology where we're just too absorbed with our own world and our own things and caring too much about the Kardashians and all these you know, things that, that are, are important to people over here. I, I, uh, I just know that the support and there's so many amazing athletes, so many veterans, so many people that have overcome so much to get that. I just wish it would become more mainstream and more like, wow, cool. I got to turn it on. Cause these guys are, you know, running the, you know, this, this, you know, race or something like that. I mean, as horrible as what ended up happening, Oscar Pistorius was a great ambassador mm -hmm to get that moving in the right direction. And I don't know if that caused a setback worldwide or anything like that, but you know, I can't use the excuse of getting away with anything anymore. Cause I don't have any legs. I was just say, Oh, I got, I can get I can away. I don't have any legs, but Oscar kind of pushed that to the, to the ultimate level tragically. So, um, you know, I, I hope it would continue to grow. I wish I was in shape to, you know, give you guys a run for your money mm -hmm. and those sports. Like I didn't have those opportunities then again, because the closest thing I ever tried out was the Olympic baseball team, you know, and getting to that level with a Barry Bonds and a Mark McGuire and all those guys that were at this camp with me, um, you know, is, is, is very awesome. But um, I don't, I don't know if we'll, I hope we get to the point where it's as big as it is, you know, worldwide. But do you think in fairness to, well, we could probably say the population at large, be it not just the U S but globally, do you think maybe, and we'll talk about track and field more specifically now, do you think it hurts that it, with, with the Olympics themselves, it's one, well, be it male and female, there is 100 metres, whereas with the, when the Paralympics is concerned, and this is off the top of my head, I think it's upwards of five events. Mm -hmm. Do you think it goes as deep as that? It's because it's so complex to be able to have to actually explain why each person is in this event. Yeah. I mean, it is, very, it is complex because it's not just the sports aren't black and white. You know, a basketball team has to have a certain number of um, persons with severe disabilities or, you know, there, there are, you know, it goes for all those, I think a lot of those sports. So it's like, well, is, am I watching the true volleyball championship or is this the, volleyball championship with the A, B, and C type players or, you know, those kind of things. And, uh, you know, I think it's just the, the education, you know, and I, and I hope people aren't ignorant to think that the Special Olympics are the Paralympics either. You know, you sometimes think, mm. oh, let me just lump in everybody. Oh, that, you know, the Paralympics. And, you know, and I wonder if having it so close to the Olympics, I know they want the venues, but does are people burnt out on the Olympics? So, like, why couldn't you – maybe alternate it. So it's not competing directly, get a nice city. I know what they, it's already there. The venues are good and, and they're ready to do it. But it's like, man, I just watched 14 days of track and field and all this stuff. Am I going to watch another six days? I don't know. You know, is, is it too much Olympics all at once? You know, so I don't know what they could do to help over here. I think I would be contrary to that with the London games, because I think that little respite, of it was at least a week between right. the Olympics and the Paralympics, kind of 
built the anticipation back up again. But I don't know if that represents because the actual Paralympic was coming, Paralympic movement was coming home. Right, brought it back up a bit more because uh, the crowds have not been the same before or since. Okay, mm-hmm. China's got their own take on it. That's very much as my family like to attest to. It was the um, how did they word it? Um, very much the plast plastic brigade, as in there, mm-hmm. marched in very military like um, like before the event starts and march back out. So, okay, that's not a true representation of fans. Whereas I think with the UK, uh, I would, I think I was a little bit sceptical in the run-up to it because I was like, in past, with any sport I'd done, it would be family members and a little bit more. And then I think right. more specifically when I went into volleyball, gosh, at venues you might have, I don't know, we'll be generous and say maximum 50 people. Mm-hmm. And in London, I played in front of 10,000 people. So so I think there was an essence of maybe some people did, weren't able to get Olympic tickets. So right. they wanted that experience. Did, did that experience to be able to get the buzz of what it is. Some obviously are going to be friends and family, but then some were maybe sports fans. They just wanted to see sport from yeah. there and, get, and, and probably some of patriotic want to get behind the country, whereas I think you probably could attest to in any games anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And I also think, you know, some countries in the, like, there are still countries that, you know, suppress disability and don't do anything to help people. So it's like these countries like China and things that you've heard horrible stories about, like, I don't know what they're putting out there, but, um, you know, in African countries and things like that, I, we have a long way to come to make, you know, to globally educate everybody to get, you know, legs built for people in, in these countries and, and, and to get them so they're not dragging around on the ground and dirt and, and things like that and or destroyed or, you know, the horror stories that you hear of, of people with disabilities that, that has happened over, over, you know, the last 50 years or so. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, thank God for people like you that, that uh, you know, do what you do and get people to talk about the things and, and you educate. It's not just about sport, but it's about psychology and how you can help people and, you know, how we can overcome, you know, certain things. So I know we, we have a lot of work to do and, and that's just also to get the athletes to get the respect, you know, that I would think, you know, it's a better, it's a better feeling for the fan to come and see these amazing athletes that have overcome so much more than athletes that are just, you know, some of them, blood doped and pumped and things like that, that, uh, you know, they're just, that's their job to do. Whereas these Paralympians, they have to, you know, work and do things and have a life and get in their, you know, practices. And some of the funding isn't always there for the things that they want to do. And yet they still figure out ways to do it and come together. And, and so I hope it grows. I really, you know, it's not having it as a child and watch the, watching it getting to where it's been, it's getting there, but, I don't think we're where we need to be as far as it globally. But I think you'd attest to this, Dave. I think as a disabled person doing sport, you don't want to be seen as somebody doing sport with a disability, but be looked upon like any professional athlete, Olympian, be looked at. This is, I'm here solely because of my ability. 
Yeah, that's exactly what you, you don't want people to pity you. You don't want people to feel sorry for you. You want them to go, wow, look at that guy. Look at what he can do, you know, and, and I hope that people can see the old video of me playing football and baseball when I was in my heyday and doing the things that I could do to, to turn those heads and make people realize, holy cow, people can make a contribution and, and do things. And now the impact I'm making as a speaker and on the kids with our disability dream and do and, and the wounded warrior, you know, amputee football team that I play on, it, it still gives me that platform to, to show the world that, you know, despite the odds, anybody can overcome anything to, to achieve the greatest goals. And I, I'm, I'm the poster child of that. You know, I, I'm, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I pinch myself for the things that I've been able to do and continue to do and, and uh, the, the, the blessings that I've had that, you know, disabilities don't open a lot of doors. And my disability really for me, I, I've catapulted it. So, you know, you can call me an amputee, you can call me legless, you can, you know, I just don't, don't take pity on me. I'm not handicapped. I'm not anybody that you should feel sorry for. Um, and I just hope that the ignorance and you know tolerance and acceptance and stuff will continue to get better but then going forward dave now what would be something that you haven't accomplished it within television that you'd like to do would it be to be able to see the paralympics be uh, that figurehead that you portray is that something you'd like to be actually at the venue and commentating Yourself. I would love to. I, I don't know why they don't get more. Well, I guess the reason is there aren't many disabled people in media. You know, there are no legless guys in media that I know of. Uh, but it would be nice to see, and I, and I could get educated real quick on sports as far as being, you know, because the commentators that they don't live and breathe track and field, they have to have somebody in their ear going, okay, he's done this in the past, and he lost to the Russian six months ago by 2.2 you know, millimeters, and you know, those kind of things that, you, you know, that they tell you so you look good. But, yeah, that would be cool to, you know, to be, you know, I think the, the Olympics is in L.A., and, and this, you know. I can't. I it's can't like, remember which way around it is, but yeah, it yeah, is in part, you know, I can't so, remember which way they selected so it. How cool would it be to be a part of that and to, you know, but who, who knows what the future holds. Uh, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm trying to get my speaking business going um, and get, get it out there, you know, when you're new and you're competing with everybody in the world as far as, you know, what's your story, what makes you so special. Uh, again, there are people that are more heroic than me and that have done more amazing things than me. Um, I just go out and I lived my life and that's what I want to tell people how just go live your life and, and don't, you know, go for everything you want to do. Don't sit back. So in 20 years, you're like, man, if I'd have just gone for that job or if I'd have just taken that class or if I'd have just asked that girl out or, you know, all those things that we get so apprehensive about just going and do. And the worst thing you're going to hear is no, or you're going to fail or you're going to fall down a few times or you're going to take that test or that law test or, work on these things and, and, you know, you just got to continue to, to, to do it and to work at, you know, life, you can't be happy in life if you're not achieving your goals and having some sort of what's next for me, what's next for me. So for me, yeah, that'd be great to be, you know, that big to be able to the, uh, the Paralympics and do commentary and talk about, you know, are you planning, how long are you planning to compete? I retired. What are we? 2018, five years oh, ago. They all say that they like, you know, Michael Phelps says that like, you know, don't you get that itch? Um, 
Yes and no. I had weird, weird ones with the, that, that itch you speak about. I had it for uh, watching the Winter Games in Sochi, which makes no sense whatsoever because I never competed in a Winter game. <laughs> but it, I think it's, it's always down, deep down. I don't, I don't know. I, 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 like is volleyball, you could, how bad would it be to get you in shape for volleyball to get to that level? Uh, the British team, I'll be in fairness to them, they may qualify in the future, but I don't see it. Um, uh, there's been talk of me doing other sports, but it's it's like we, you touched upon, it's a psychology. If you're not mentally right to compete at that level, there's I would say there's no point, but you're on a hiding to nothing because you're always going to have that element of doubt when the event is finished. Well, all the, the what if, what if I'd have done a little bit more? What, what if I'd have started? Yeah. You know? So it's, it's more, I'd love to, to be involved in some capacity, probably on the outside. So I don't know, maybe team, team oriented because mm-hmm. I know what the, the men and, and women sacrifice to get to that level of competition uh i think when i've spoken to kids and schools in the past they they simplify things well why did you retire why don't you keep going into the future yeah well it was that easy every man and his dog would be able to do it it's it's you've got to have been the right mental state uh, you've got to be able to take the, the, the knocks, obviously, physically and mentally. And I think I reached a point where I think it was enough. I think physically I'll, I'll still do it to myself, even at a lower level, which some people would probably say was a bit psychotic in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, well, there's, what is your overall drive to want to do to, that, to, to your body on a, well, not, not on, on a daily basis as much, but... Why, why are you wanting to do that? Okay, it's probably, you're probably similar. It's that sporting uh, um, sense of being. It's, it's, it's that high, that competition, the camaraderie, just all the good stuff. It's so tough to walk away. You know, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't even say I'm close to what, you know, I'm not half the man I used to be, even though I'm already a half a man. But, um, you know, you get the joke, right? Mm. <laughs> you know, some people might not get it. I have to explain that to your, viewers and listeners but um you know I, I i get that my body won't let me do those things anymore and it's one of those things where it's you know try to play hockey against kids that are half my age and i love crashing into them and flying down the ice and snot coming out of my nose and i'm just you know, this big old guy coming at him and, but i know that you know that father time is one ticking and two you know your body doesn't recover as quickly from you know, intense workouts or long stretches of physical activity and things like that. And I mean, you're still a baby, so you're, you've got a few years to have, but uh, you know, it, it, it got me where I want to be. And now yeah, I still want to say relevant, relevant. I want people to see that, you know, I'm still mobile. I can still do the things. And again, when I'm on the stage, I'm able to move around and do the, my, my talking and speaking and, you know, because people are so mesmerized again by this, guy with no legs they're always it's just that thing that it's not the norm um even though i feel normal you know and on the outside people look at you and me and they go they're handicapped or they're disabled they don't realize we are athletes you will always be an athlete everything you did in your life to get you where you are you had certain goals you had certain internal things that you pushed more than your friends then you took time away from the 
free time and things like that to train and to work hard and to hone your skills. And I did the same thing. So again, when you judge a book by its cover, people will look at us and go, oh, you know, they're just going to peg you as this guy with one leg hopping around or me or whatever. They don't realize what it took to get us to a higher level that, that nobody else out there could ever comprehend or understand unless they've, you know, been in your, your shoes or my non shoes, you know, to be able to, um, to experience what it tastes like and knowing people are staring yet, continuing to excel because the body's meant to do things with two arms and two legs, not one leg and two arms or no legs and two arms. And so we've had to figure out the alternative ways. And now they have coaching, they have ideas, they've, they've seen people now they can help people adapt and do more things as opposed to the old days where like, you know, well, kid, if you want to do this, I don't know how to work with you. I'm not, I've never been trained for this. Like, so we've gotten much better in, in the education also and the training and things like that. And I really hope that, you know, the Paralympics can really, you know, continue to grow and give athletes and, and people that I consider not disabled the opportunities in life. But I think that that notion that you mentioned, David, people not knowing what to do with you, that's a little bit of a cop-out because it's like, well, I, I think people ask me, how do you say more specifically with the fitness business, adapt to disabilities? Well, you touched upon it there it's an adaptation i've had to do yeah. out for life so to me it doesn't matter if you're in a wheelchair able-bodied you are going to adapt that situation of training to the individual and that's what probably some trainers do it wrong they have that uh what would, how would i word it uh plan a i'm going to give this to everybody and it right. doesn't Okay, for some it's good. For, say we'll be generous. Say it worked for fifty percent of the population and not for the others. Whereas yeah. you tweak it a little bit and take account for uh, the displeasure of certain things that people don't like. Right. I think I, right. I, I think it comes back to the roots of us as individuals. It's we've had to overcome some sort of adversity. I, I don't really like. It being called that because it's not really adversity it's i've had it's to <laughs> i've had to overcome a hurdle so to speak that's in the way you talked about it earlier on in the episode with being able to be with your peers mine is very much the same it's okay it's a different slight, slight different story but i had to overcome oh, that hurdle adversity to be able to be like one of the guys, okay, they they probably don't perceive it as as that even to this day. What we twenty five years on, but uh, my family talk about it. You you could see the the wheels going around in my head. How can I adapt this circumstance so into my favor? And I talk about that. I, I okay, you would term it adversity. It's it's me trying to. Um, overcome a problem that, that's arisen it's okay let me find the solution to the problem and i think that's i've always been some way that inclined a little bit, maybe a little bit less so in my adulthood because it's that's how the nature of the being is you get a little bit lazier it's like well yeah. really need to be done uh let me think about that mm, <laughs> no okay well <laughs> we'll put it to say whereas as a youngster you want to be in involved in that community so you're gonna maybe go uh beyond what is the norm to be ex well we'll say accepted accepted into that community 
Yeah. And that's like, that's why it's great that you do because, you know, a normal fitness trainer, you know, what are you supposed to, you can't do deep knee bends with one leg. Like they, we don't have enough of, of people like you that are able to adapt and adjust and it's getting better. I've got a buddy, David Vibora, who's got an academy in Texas that again, with more and more veterans coming back, missing body parts, there is the need for them to stay not only physically, but it helps them mentally as well. If you're an athlete, you continue to do the things that you do. You come back, you've been in war, you've lost a leg, or you've done these kind of things, and it helps. So what you're doing is really important as far as to help, and I think hopefully more trainers can think outside the box because um, for, you know, both you and I, people look at us and they go, oh, you're a hero, you're an inspiration, you're all this, and it's just like we're just guys and we lived our life. We got thrown you know, a bad hand in a certain way, but we were able to overcome it and to – to try to live up to some of those expectations sometimes it's like, man, I just lived my life. And if I can teach you a little bit how to overcome it and to think about it and um, you know, we're just guys, we're just people that were, you know, trying to live a life. You know, I wore artificial legs for 40 years because I thought I had to be as tall as everybody and fit into society and look everybody in the eye. And you know, when you're carrying around dead weight like that for so long, it took its toll on my shoulders as well. But you know, I don't mind being in a wheelchair now. It's a different world. Uh, you do, still see limitations everything isn't physically you know especially in the east coast it's a very old part of the country so there are, are stairs and steps and they don't build ramps and they have uh, certain grandfather clause laws that businesses don't have to change you know and i'm sure in england there's a lot of old buildings where mm -hmm. they may not have made adaptations and and things like that because you don't want to ruin a castle you don't want to ruin certain beauty of certain things which i can understand but just to be able to have that accessibility so they again the challenges that people see on the outside they don't know what we're doing on the inside always having to think about okay you've got to climb all these steps to get onto something it's not like you're walking with two legs it takes its toll on you it's not a, a normal process of a body but i think you raised a good point initially david early on the saying you don't regret having the disability it's kind of made you who you are today and i think i could attest to that as well because okay yeah. there's there was certain elements in my life that I, you kind of wish that you don't be it oh gosh probably my teens are probably the worst example mm -hmm. of that but if I look back upon it now I wouldn't have the I wouldn't have been the person I am today I wouldn't have the sporting career that uh, I had ever I probably had aspirations and dreams of uh, getting to the elite level mm -hmm. but did I think it was a reality Probably not, but then if it wasn't for the disability, those doors never would have been opened. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and again, it made who we have become, and you're helping people, I'm trying to help people. I mean, it, it's not a death sentence. You know, it's not anything that's, that, it, you know, again, it freaks people out. They try to get over it, and you want to become my friend, you want to get to know me, That that's cool, because I'm not, you know, however you want to describe me, I just hopefully my friends describe me as Dave. You know, that's all I ever want to be known as and, and not, you know, handicapped or that legless guy or that disabled guy. It's just like when you get to know me, they, they forget it. Just like you said, your friends just forget about it. And my final question for you, Dave, before we wrap up the episode, if you have to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? As cliche-ish as it sounds, uh, just just shoot for your dreams. You know, go for it and enjoy the ride. Because if if we don't try, uh, despite anything, 
that's on the outside trying to battle us, you've got to fight through everything if you want successes in life and you want to have those achievements despite having a handicap or if you're just normal, you know, an able-bodied. So once again, Dave, thanks for coming on the Mindset Game podcast. Oh, I appreciate it. It was great. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.